0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Rich Heng's Leicester Square Theatre podcast. This time with Sanjeev Bhaskar. Hey, look, we're doing like a million Leicester all around the country. We're starting in Wolverhampton at the Bilston Town Hall on the first of February, where my guest will be the author of The Boy with the Top Knot, Satnam Sangera. Do come along to that. There's still a very few tickets left for that. Then we're at the Leicester Square Theatre. From the 4th of February, uh, every Monday till the 1st of April. Uh, on the 4th, we've got Emily Aitak. On the 11th of February, we've got Rob Bryden and David Morrissey. Not many tickets left. On the 18th of February, we've got James Acaster and London Hughes. There's about five tickets left. Do add get added to the waiting list. Uh, 25th of February, it's uh, Joel Dommett and Susie Ruffle. 4th of March, it's Matt Ford and Les Dennis. Come on, 11th of March. uh, I think we've got Rosie Jones on that one. 18th of March is Sindhu V. 25th of March, nobody yet. And the 1st of April, we have the No Such Thing as a Fish podcast. I'm also in Bath on the 15th of February where it will be Kerry Howard and one to be announced. Uh, Birmingham is sold out, no guests yet. That's on the 23rd of March. Brighton is an extra date. A gig is being added on the 3rd of April. There will be a gig at 6 o'clock as well as the sold at 8.31. Guests to be announced, but get along to the uh, Old Market website if you want to book tickets to that extra gig uh, with a different guest. So you can come to both if you want, but they're two separate shows. Anyway, do enjoy your Beer 52 beer by going to beer52.com and getting free beers for just £2.95 p p Now let's sit back, relax and enjoy Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast. Why not? Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who, even though he's played for time, has nothing to say. (laughs) It's Richard Herring. Thank you very much. Hello, London. Oh, no, I'm still drunk from last week. It's Richard Herring here. I'm doing my podcast, which Haynes, Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. I was talking to Bo Brummel the other day, the dandy the d- d- dandy guy he was very cool back in the old in the day whatever meant to research him on Wikipedia find out when he was from <laughs> he calls it Elizabeth. so that's uh, that's, that's going to be fun I'll, we're going to talk to the audience nothing's happened to me in the, uh, since the last podcast really hardly anything at all uh, and in the last week uh, so I'll talk to the hello there young lady Hi. I'm not talking to you there was a clue in the young uh, so uh, <laughs> And another clue in the lady. Uh, so, <laughs> What's your name? Rosie. Rosie. Hello, Rosie. How are you doing? Did you come to see Rick Edwards last week? Is that why you're here? <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, so that's not what I do. What do you do for a living, Rosie? I'm a civil servant. You're a civil servant. How's that going for you with Brexit and everything going on? Pretty badly, right? Are you not allowed to say? <laughs> People will not know who you are. No one can see you from just Rosie. We'll call you something else. What department of civil service do you work in? Housing ah, oh, that's all right. that's probably going to be people will probably probably still be some houses after. they're going to be a lot cheaper mate. It's going to be good. Uh, so, as long as you don't own one at the moment. So uh nice to see you. So you know look, it's unusual to have uh, I mean that's this man is that's the used what people usually look like in the front row. <laughs> that's just why I wanted to say hello, because you know, no offense mate, but comparatively I also have a science degree. you have a science degree. That's good. <laughs> it's good that you could nearly worked in IT. Do you work in IT, mate? No, don't say no like you're above being in IT, mate. What do you work in? What's your name, sorry? Uh, Peter. I Peter, mean. I was going to say you were hideously ugly. Just before, but I didn't get to that bit. Um, you're not, Peter. You're very good looking in your own way. Do you remember when you, remember when you had some of this, Peter? Do you remember? Do you remember that? Look at that. I'm not There's nothing. What, what What do you do, Peter? I work in a bank. You work in a bank, oh. It's his fault that everything's going wrong in the theatre, oh, yeah. and he's sitting next to you. Which bank? Is it a good bank? Oh, I wouldn't say that. You're not. Coots, isn't it? It's Coots. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, I thought so. Do you work in a bank? No. What's your name? Matt. Matt? Uh, <laughs> oh, God, I'm so drunk that I just nearly did a joke about you. It was lying in front of a door. Uh, it's okay, I didn't do it, so it's okay. What would you do, Matt? I'm a lawyer. You're a lawyer? Fucking hell, it's high power, isn't it? It's Banks, civil servants. Where are my IT guys? There you are. How are you doing? IT, IT. There he is. The Dodgers, Dodgers shirt. What, what, how's the IT going? Yeah, good. That's one. What's the best uh, law in your opinion? <laughs> Which one do you like, um, prosecuting people for or defending them for, most? There are. <laughs> That's why it's a difficult question, No, I ask the tough questions in this podcast, and I don't make it easy. But, you know, if, you, if, if this is an example of your lawyer in, mate, you, you should work in IT, because it's no good, what's your best law? Oh, it's so difficult. What? Oh, this man's up for murder. It looks like he's done it. It's really difficult to get him off. I <laughs> hope someone will come in with some evidence that proves he didn't do it. Is that what you do? No. Would no. you do that sort of stuff as a lawyer? No, it's a barrister. Right, well, it's love to talk to the audience. <laughs> In a slightly aggressive... Fight. How are you, madam? I'm sorry I was a little rude earlier. I hope you didn't. I was only, I was only joking. I'm sorry. Uh, that's, yeah, I'm doing, you do have to apologise to me. If I was rude to I'm, you. I've been coming to see you for years. Have you? Years, yeah. 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 And just thought, tonight I'll get really drunk and shout out. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I've just got over cancer. Oh, you just got over cancer? Well, that's good news. Yeah. I mean, you know, for you, for me means you're going to be coming in and, <laughs> and heckling. <laughs> I'm delighted, I'm delighted. Congra- give this lady a round of applause. <laughs> doesn't At last, some good news. Some good news. <laughs> and as a comedian, it's a difficult one to deal with, isn't it? I've just got over cancer. Deal with that, you fucker. All right, I'm coming back at you. <laughs> You're a lovely audience. Thank you very much. And please carry on being a lovely audience. Our guest tonight, this week. There was a lady like you in last week's audience. It was weird. So It's, um... it's like a flu. <laughs> <like a> <laughs> Hello. Yeah, good. I can't, if I don't understand it, I don't have to respond. That's, uh, that's, that's my rule. My guest this week is, uh, you, I know why you're here. He's best known as Roger Splodger. Isn't he, in grandpa, as as if I need to tell you, in grandpa in my pocket? Yeah. And we're going to talk about that for one hour. Will you please welcome the amazing Sanjeev Bhaskar, ladies and gentlemen? So wonderful to have you, Sanjeev. Thank you very much. Here he is. Oh, my God. He's such a busy man. I've been trying to get him on this podcast for many years, and here he is... It's very exciting to have you.
1: Thank you very much. It's great. It's, it is... Do you know, I was saying this to you before, but I'll, I, I'll say it again. Uh, not to you. I'll say it to you, because you've already heard it. Uh-huh. But, uh, it's, it's really strange to be on a podcast that you listen to, because otherwise, you know, he's a disembodied voice most of the time, and now he's embodied, and that's just a bit strange. But... And what
0: a body it is. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> that I've
0: chosen to inhabit. Um... Grandpa in my pocket. Do you remember much about work? James Bolam, of course. James Bolam, yeah. How do they shrink him down for that? How do they make him so small?
1: Uh, Or do they make you really big? No, no, no. They made him small. Okay. Um, uh, uh, By rewashing him. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Because there's a label stuck to James Bolam's neck, which says "Do not tumble dry." (laughs) So they tumble dried him. Okay. Yeah, that's learned him.
0: It's a good. It's a fun show.
1: Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it was fun for the kids and stuff. And What,
0: uh, what? What did Roger Splodger do i don't re- just remind people who don't watch it Every. everybody
1: <laughs> tell everybody what he did uh roger splodger uh was because it's a kid's show yes yeah, it was a kid show. well
0: you know adults are allowed to watch yeah it, of course I so. I yeah no
1: absolutely right so he was a pervert uh that had escaped <laughs> from, oh i sorry sorry the, the text rather than the subtext. um he was uh as the name suggests he was a painter Okay. And he wasn't a very good painter, but he thought he was brilliant. Yeah. And uh, so he just kind of like, you know, did some, you know, paint things that kids really love, like <laughs> stepping in it and dropping it on his head and stuff like that.
0: <laughs> okay. And uh, did, you, did you get to meet James Bolan Were you working alongside him or was he just in a different studio? Being I, more... I wasn't. No, he, was, <laughs> he had his
1: tiny trailer uh, <laughs> that he was in. Um, no, I, did, well, I didn't do any scenes with him, actually, yeah. but I did with... I think it was his missus okay. who was in it and so I did scenes with her who was okay. lovely.
0: He's great, James Bolam. I tried to get him in, uh, in my play uh, I Killed Rasputin but he, was, he, he didn't want to do it. He, he preferred to be a small granddad in a pocket. That's, that's fine. That is his choice. <laughs> Was it a tiny Rasputin? It wasn't. Because he was only doing tiny (laughs) parts at that point. It was a uh, full-sized Felix Yusupov who was going to play, but yes, Mm. he didn't. Uh, Would you fancy a uh, craft beer of some kind? What have you got here? I've got a whole new batch this week. I've got Freak Scene, but they put the E in Freak back to front. That is how... Oh, oh, that's that's weirding me out. Is that too... I'm going to have that one because I'm a bit of a freak. There's Mrs. McCluskey.
1: What is that? Is that (laughs) Kavish? Kavish? Kavish?
0: Kavish? Whatever you want. Day... It's dry hopped wit beer with uh, lime and coriander. All right. Come on, that's for you. Yeah, oh, that's for. Uh, I'm not, uh, <laughs> come on. Thank you, you Respe- racist <laughs> bastards. <laughs> uh... You like it though, don't you? You like it.
1: Damn you, Herring.
0: <laughs> Damn you. If I, if I have a second beer, I might uh, be drunk enough to try and roll out my attempt to do an Indian accent So, uh, Drink up, it, why, Richard. Drink up. Why is it okay to do a Welsh one and a Scottish one? And not, well, you can do a Welsh one, right? I can, and that is basically... You can do an Indian is, one. It. <laughs> <laughs> it <is> my, <laughs> my Welsh one is very, very, very Indian. Go on, um, go on, go okay. on. I'll do, I'll do Welsh. Oh, hello! <laughs> I am... <laughs> I am from Wales, (laughs) or Punjab,
1: (laughs) depending on the part. I filmed filmed in Wales, and there were times where, and I had to do an accent for that. It was a a character who just arrived from India. And there were times when I wasn't sure whether I was doing a Welsh accent or not. And then the Welsh actors who were there, I wasn't sure whether they were doing an Indian accent. It's absolutely true. The the series I did was set in the 60s. It was a, a daytime drama thing called The Indian Doctor. And I was in the kind of three-piece suit and stuff, and I went to a co-op that was sort of around the corner. And um, there was a lady behind me in the queue. And uh, she said, uh, she said, hello, Dr. Khan, is it? And I said, I turned around, and I said, hello. Uh, Well, no, no, it isn't. I'm playing a doctor. She said, I'm sorry. She said, you looked exactly like him. And I said, that's amazing. I said, is he your doctor? She said, well, he wasn't until he died 20 years ago. (laughs)
0: That was real. That happened. You know, it could be, you could have been the ghost of Dr. Khan. Maybe you are. We don't in the co op. Yeah. <laughs> still got a ghost still has to eat. So, uh, well, I didn't know about you and what's so that you only really started uh, in entertainment and comedy in when I mean, you are about 34, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, you worked in marketing for 10 years or so?
1: Yeah, I did a degree in business and marketing and then worked in, in you know, uh, didn't have a proper job for 10 years until yeah. I started doing this. Yeah.
0: Right. Oh, you work, did you work for IBM? That
1: was my first job, was it? Yeah, IBM. Yeah, in um, Hertfordshire.
0: Oh, was it? Oh, I did it. I did it. Me and Stu, very early on, did a uh, like my my our friend Tony Brennan. Did you know Tony Brennan. Yeah. He worked for I, IBM. He, um, do you know Yeah,
1: him? yeah, that, <laughs> this is one of those kind of... <laughs> <laughs>
0: he, he book- hey, you're Richard, right? You live in England? You know Dave? You must do, right? He's London, right? Dave. He's a great guy. Um, he booked me and Stu to, be, to do a, a winter corporate on a boat for, I, for IBM, so we did, like, one of our first gigs was on a boat on the river, and I, I wondered if you'd been there. No. It was very snowy. I got off with the girl, it was great... oh uh, yeah yeah uh, yeah, we all saw that I got up with a girl who worked for IBM it was good Uh, I stole someone's coat who worked for IBM and then I felt guilty about it the next day and brought it back I didn't have much respect for the people who worked for IBM because I thought I was poor and I thought they were all rich
1: yeah but you I still th- brought the coat back. Well, I
0: did, but I don't know if I went in a coat or whether I didn't go in a coat and then it really, it was snowing. It's so good,
1: it good plan not to go in a coat.
0: Yeah, and then you just take it Because coat. then you just take it and you yeah. go,
1: what, it's mine. <laughs> yeah.
0: What, well, 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 do you think
1: I'm an idiot? I'd come out in the snow without I a coat. I must
0: have left the coat that I came in there or didn't have a coat. And if I didn't have a coat, then I can steal a coat from someone who works for IBM, let them go home in the snow in the cold while like I kiss their person who works with them.
1: It's not exactly Ocean's Eleven, is no, it? it isn't. Mean, uh,
0: <laughs> close, I, but... Then I felt guilty, and I pretended I'd taken it by accident. No one believed me.
1: Ah, uh, redemption story.
0: No one believed me. Um, oh, well, it's a shame. I wondered if you'd been at that gig, and then you thought, hey, if those guys are doing comedy, anyone can. <laughs> <laughs> were you, uh, doing,
1: were you no. doing
0: anything? Were you doing... I mean, it says that you sort of realised you wanted to do comedy, but were you doing other comedy in the...
1: In no, well I, well, I was... As a, there's a now very successful composer, uh, Nitin Sawney, who does mm. movies and stuff like that, So... Uh, we started doing stuff together at college and then and we would do we didn't really understand how gigging worked so we would spend about a month putting together a set and then do one show and then that would be it yeah then we'd do another one the following year and then it was about six or seven years later that um I said to him you know you're not you're not doing anything at the moment I'm not why don't we get together and just you know come up with stuff and it'll be fun and you know, he was brilliant and still is a brilliant musician, so we had that musical kind of element to it. Um, we were called the Secret Asians. And uh, <laughs> gives you an indication of uh, how good the comedy was. And, um, yeah, we were doing one of these shows at the Oval House uh, in London, in, in their studio theatres. It was 50-seater or something. And we got reviewed in Time Out, and we got this five-star review.
0: From Bonnie Greer.
1: From Bonnie Greer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, playwright Bonnie Greer. And... Um, And some producers from the BBC turned up and said, we're thinking of doing a sketch show, and this is the sort of material we're looking for, would you be interested?
0: I mean, that's insane. I mean, it's great, but yeah, that's the kind is, of thing you sort nuts. of dream of happening. It <laughs> I mean, is When you nuts. start going, I'll put on a show, and then a BBC... Yeah, this is the plan. Out, and then we'll be on a successful after Award. What's your plan, son, to get really <laughs> lucky?
1: <laughs> It'll never work. But ah,
0: did, I, did I read somewhere that the producers uh, producer tossed a coin as to whether they were going to come and see you? Is that true?
1: Yes. Well, the, the name of the show uh, was Poppadon Preach. And... uh <laughs> We were Come young, on. we were foolish. Uh, and, um, yeah, they tossed a coin. They kind of said, this, this really sounds shit. <laughs> and, uh, and it was kind of, well, it's, it's you know, it's uh, 90 minutes. It was less than that, actually. It was about an hour and 15 minutes or something. Um, so it was either we flip a coin and go to the pub, or we go and go to the show, and then we can still go to the pub. So wow. uh, the coin turned up the right way for me.
0: It's insane. It is nuts. I mean, I'm sure it would have happened anyway, but it's kind of, it's crazy that that... <laughs> yeah,
1: class. it is. It is. It's well, crazy. also, and I'm, I'm not sure if I've told anyone this before. Um, this is one of those things where you it get got afterwards you'll s- say, "Do you do you really want that?" <laughs> so, um, so I was doing a, uh, um, a TIE theatre and education stuff uh, with a company called Tara Arts, which is based in London, and we were going around schools around the country doing sort of forty-minute Shakespeare plays for eight-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I did one in, in North London there was two of us and we used masks and puppets and stuff like that and there was a, a, a lady that came up to me after one of the shows I used to improv in The Tempest because they're eight years old you have yeah. to keep their sort of uh, attention and um, a lady came up to me afterwards and she said uh, that was very funny you know all the improv stuff you were doing was very funny and I said thanks and she said uh, do you do comedy and I said yeah uh, bless you and uh, <laughs> And she said, um, well, you know, on your own, are you, you stand-up? Are you part of a duo? And I said, no, part of a duo. And she said, what are you called? And we didn't have a name. And we weren't doing anything at that point. And I said, we're called uh, Secret Asians. Uh, that's a pun. And she went, oh, yeah, yeah. And she said, um, I've not seen you on the circuit, because I kind of, you know, I kind of like, you know, watch the circuit and stuff. And I said, no, no. I said, we're keeping a low profile. I said... Uh, <laughs> My friend uh, is doing some music. I really wanted to work with kids, and so that's why I'm here. And she went, oh, that's really interesting. And I went and rang Nitin and said, I bullshitted some woman today after this thing, not realising that she was a journalist. And she wrote this up in The Independent. Right. And so then there was this article with me kind of going, yeah, you know, we're going to relaunch next year. <laughs> and all stuff." And then we had to do a gig. And so that's why we, we ended up doing the gig.
0: That's incredible. Mm life of just, lies. Everyone's just lucky, and not Everyone's just, just luck. Uh, <laughs> it's great. And uh, goodness gracious me, how can you go to a restaurant at any point in your life without people saying the, the one thing to you that they must say to you all the time?
1: And what might that be?
0: <laughs> About having an English. The, yes. that, does that
1: ever come up still? Uh, Do you know what? It's really interesting. On Twitter, people... One of the, the lines in the... And the sketch was, you know, what is the, what is the blandest thing on the menu? Yeah. Give me the blandest thing on the menu. And um, somebody sent me a tweet, uh, not that long ago, actually, uh, and they were on uh, an airline, and I can't remember which one, but it's one of the options <laughs> was, was uh, European cuisine, in brackets, bland. <laughs> so, they must have racked their brains going, how do we describe this... Uh, do you just got no. It's it's salt. Not really. salt. Sweet. No. It's really bland. Bland.
0: It's bland.
1: And um, so yeah, this was printed up on a menu
0: card. I mean, there was lots of great sketches. In, goodness gracious me! But that one did like resonate with, with people.
1: Yeah, that, I, in a way, that became our flagship yeah, sketch, yeah. and it kind of I suppose set out our stall. If we had a st- <coughs> that's not yeah. too too much of a, uh, a stereotype. Um, in the shop Uh, and uh yeah it kind of you know it was a reversal sketch and and all that kind of stuff but i mean the four of us that wrote so uh mira my missus and i sharat sadana and richard pinto were the four main writers and we you know we we were just all into comedy so we'd kind of watch stuff we were watching stuff at the time and so you get influenced by everything but uh it was richard and Sharrett that came up with the with that sketch mainly
0: yeah, it's... And do, do people still shout at you? Because I'm going to do all... The, um, for the rest of the interview. Are oh, you? No, yeah, no, I'm not. But does it... Does it... Does it haunt you and follow you like sometimes those things can or have people...
1: No, do you know what? Film? It's... it's. I mean, it's 20 years since since we, we did it. But Since it first came on TV and we did three series. And... Uh, you know, it's it's really uh, uh, humbling actually that people still remember it with such fondness. And and the strange thing is that a lot of people now found it on on sort of YouTube clips and stuff like that. Um, but it's I don't think it's aged that badly. You know, no, there some of it obviously has, but um, actually a lot of the sketches still kind of work. And so it is it is humbling that people still remember it fondly, yeah. and that's nice. It's
0: great. And the and the, the the Kumars came after that. Was how how long after? Goodness gracious me, was it? You did a couple of series of goodness gracious me. Well,
1: on, on, uh, you know, on our uh, recording day today, it was exactly to this day, 17 years ago. Right. So it was 2001, this date. they
0: are not the, going to uh, tell you what date now. No, not, no,
1: no. It's none of your fucking business. Um, but, uh, it was, but I had the idea... Uh, about five years earlier, and everybody turned it down. Right. And uh, I remember somebody at uh, one of the main channels uh, who I met with um, who said, uh, so what is this idea you've got? And I said, well, look, it's this family, and they interview real guests, and, you know, he's got his grandmother and his parents there, and it'll it'll just be good because you've got an older person asking questions and you've got an older woman asking questions, which, you know, a young guy can't uh, ask and everything. And he went, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, you know what would be really good? And I said, yeah. And he said, if the main interviewer was a woman, a young woman. And I said, oh, okay. Well, I was thinking of playing the interview, but let's hear it. And he said, and the reason that um, the guests turn up every week is because she's got great tits. Oh, <laughs> Can you believe this? And I kind of... Uh, and this was somebody involved in diversity at <laughs> that channel. And I remember kind of we were in a pub, and I just said... Right, anyway, that's your idea, so good luck with that. (laughs) I picked up my bit of A4 paper and I left. So I had that for sort of four or five years. Right,
0: and it was based on the the reality of your home life with your mother and father, is that true? Well, it
1: uh, it was based on a particular incident, yeah. Yeah, There was a girlfriend, uh, Jeanette, who um, I took home to meet my parents. It was the first time I'd taken a girl home to meet my parents, I was kind of quite nervous about it. And uh, we walked in through the door and I said, Jeanette, this is my mum, this is my dad, mum, dad, this is Jeanette. And my dad said, uh, "Pleased to meet you. How much does your father earn?" And uh, and I said, "Dad, you can't ask that." He said, "It's only a question. She doesn't have to answer it." And I said, "Well, keep your voice down. It's no." And then my mum, voice of reason, stepped in and said, uh, "You know, it's very. I do ignore him, Jeanette. It's very nice to meet you. You know, Sanjeev has always been terrible at handling rejection." And it was kind of like, "It's the first 30 seconds." And so when we started doing Goodness Gracious Me, I remember sitting in my the, you know, room that I rented in uh, South London at that time and um, and I thought I wonder if I ever meet anyone famous and I thought gosh I wonder what, what would happen if I introduced them to my parents and I thought <laughs> no difference that's it Yeah. And, uh, and what was what was lovely was that my parents came to see a lot of the recordings and I remember after the <laughs> uh, who did we have on we had um, Helena Bonham Carter was on and uh, you know there'd be a green room thing afterwards and, and I, I introduced Helena to my mum. I said, Helena, this is my real mum, this is my mum. And Helena said, oh, it's lovely to meet you. And my mum said, she said, hello, you're such a pretty face. You have, and she said, oh, thank you. She said, why in the last film did did they make you a monkey face? (laughs) Which is the (laughs) Planet of the Apes film had come out. And it was kind of like, mini driver <laughs> yeah. mini driver had said that you know she was living in Los Angeles now and she doesn't live in London anymore and my parents <laughs> said uh, we live quite near the airport and we have a Z bed <laughs> and say so if you ever need to start off. so they were doing that anyway but yeah.
0: I mean that's that's a pretty cool interactive experience where you do the show and then you come back and meet the real people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, they were not based on. You
0: know. But it's it so you
1: just reminded me there was on that yeah. on the first show we did um, it was Richard E. Grant and Michael Parkinson and my dad before the show had said uh, can I invite someone and I said who and he said well just. Can I invite someone? And I said, well, it depends on who it is, Dad. I mean, who are you thinking of inviting? He said, I don't know, I haven't asked anyone yet. I don't know if they're <laughs> available. And I said, but I'd, I'd like to know who you're bringing to the show. And he said, I don't know. And I said, look, you can bring anyone except Uncle Sarinda. all right? Because Uncle Surinder always kind of just gets involved. And also, he has the largest turban in history. It was like the motherships in Independence Day. But, and, and he said, no, no, of course not. So, you know, you go on to do the show. I walk on to say hello to the audience first. First thing I noticed, row three, backing <laughs> you know, mothership with, with Uncle Surinder underneath it, dangling underneath his turban. And so it became a, you know, like someone who's got a boil or something, you know, you, my eyes just drifted back to this huge turban. And afterwards, I was dreading him kind of like approaching either Richard E. Grant or Michael Parkinson and everything. And I said to my dad, I'd just keep him in the corner here. Uh, let him have his kind of like, you know, glass of pop or whatever. And I was talking to Michael Parkinson. And as I'm talking to him, I see this shadow fall <laughs> over Parkey's face. And I just thought, oh no. And then I heard a Mr. Parkinson. And it was kind of like, I told you, dad.
0: Anyway. <laughs> I think it works though because I mean, it obviously, it worked for lots of reasons. Very uh, beautifully put together, but it, it's just like any family. It, it, it wasn't, even though it was an Asian family, and there was there was the, those things in it. It just it, that's just like my mum and dad as well. That's, I think that's what
1: I, I yeah. mean. I think comedy, you know, is most potent when it's there's universality in it. I mean, I think it's. It's most interesting when it's, uh, you know, specific. Yeah. Um, but within that specificity, you kind of hit all these things that are universal. And interestingly enough, uh, the commands shown around the world, it was everywhere around the world, it was a British comedy. Right. Except here. <laughs> it, in Britain, it was an Asian comedy. But it, everywhere else, I remember a, a review in, you know, the I don't know, San Jose Sentinel or some, some paper in, in, in America, um, that said, <laughs> they said, we have no idea who the guests are. <laughs> Eamon Holmes, we have no idea what is an a- Eamon Holmes. But they said, we get, we get the fact yeah. that it's a family. We get that you know, the, the, the son is spoiled and the grandmother's a loose cannon and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm pleased with that. I am proud of it.
0: And it's interesting that, I mean, that's again, I find celebrity a fascinating thing. But it, what's, what's amazing is when, you know, uh, the, the veil falls away. And if, so uh, Eamon Holmes in America, it's just a bloke. That's just why <laughs> yeah, they are talking yeah. about a bloke. I did When I did talk Talking Cop, was sort of done all over Europe and by different people in different languages, My, a stand-up show I did. And there was a big opening in Norway, I think. And I went to this opening in Norway, and all these people walking in, all these glamorous clothes and the kind of old guy with espadrilles on. And everyone's going, ah. Oh. And you think, when you don't know who any of them are, it's just... What? It's just a, its just an old bloke. Why has he got an eighteen-year-old girlfriend? How's this working? It's insane. So you got—you know—there's this sort of veneer of celebrity, which is interesting. And I guess you're—you're you're choosing. I mean, you have obviously big stars on that show, but you're choosing interesting people to talk to that you well, know are going to be.
1: But you—you you picked up on exactly uh, what was behind my kind of idea of, of making it in the first place, or coming up with it, which was that, you know. The, the moment they came through the front door and were confronted by a family, they could only be themselves. They, there was, you know, that veneer of, of whatever celebrity was for them was absolutely stripped away when you've got somebody who's older saying, do you want a cup of tea? Do you want a biscuit? Do you want a samosa? Do you, have you eaten samosas? Do you like samosas? Is it too hot for you? And um, it, so there was lots of domestics that yeah. were in there. And, uh, and I, I think it's very difficult when you've been involved in something, but um, I think it was quite disarming. I think and, uh,
0: no definitely but yeah. I think
1: you certainly saw a different side to uh, a celebrity yeah
0: and you'd worked with Mira for a long time before <coughs> you became romantically involved was it seeing three, a, three years yeah was it seeing her dressed up as a grandmother did <laughs> it for you was that the do you know what I realised
1: there, there were no surprises for me coming up <laughs> in 50 or 60 years i just turned around and go ah there you are uh, she was she was the most uh, reluctant uh, person uh, of the cast to do
0: it I thought she was going to say to ever go out to be, ever get romantically involved in me but <laughs> ever I put, put the teeth around.
1: in <laughs> when we had sex
0: um,
1: <laughs> she uh, yeah she was uh, really yeah because she kind of said she initially kind of said oh, well, you know, do I want to just be known for playing a, an old lady and stuff and I said well what makes you think the show's going to be a success anyway <laughs> um, but also I knew that I couldn't think of anybody else who could improvise as well and that was a thing that particularly Mira and myself needed to be able to yeah. improv. And, and we got to the stage where, he, you know, we knew when the other person was setting up a gag. So I, I remember with Jane Seymour uh, when she was a guest and she came on and I said, hello, Jane, you look very nice tonight. And she said, oh, thank you. And I said, your turn. And she said, <laughs> oh, you look very nice as well. And I said, yeah, um, pinstripes very slimming, and I threw that out there, as a, and I I knew that Mira would pick up on it, and what she came back with was, yeah, you know those uh, pinstripes were a lot closer together before we put the jacket on, (laughs) which is kind of brilliant, you know, and so the difficulty for me was not laughing in character, you know, uh, being offended by it or something, Um, but yeah, we had, we'd worked on, goodness gracious me, that's where we met.
0: And so, is that, is, it's interesting when something develops over a period of time, and obviously you're not together, and then yeah. suddenly you, you realise that, that yeah, there's it was something a there.
1: Flight to Australia. Yeah, I mean, was it's, it? a, it's a long <laughs> flight, and something's got to give. Um, yeah, it it is interesting because, in a way, we were. I mean, we were colleagues first, and then we were friends for, I don't know, eight ten years. I mean, you know, yeah. she she was with someone else, I was with someone else, and. Um, So, yeah, it was a long gestation period uh, in terms of us getting together. But also, when we got together, a lot of those uh, boxes had been ticked in terms of, you know, do we get on... Are we interested in the same things? Do we problem-solve in the same way? But particularly, as you know, (laughs) when you're working with somebody else in comedy, uh, it can be really intense. And so
0: problem-solving within that is a great indicator. I never married, Stuart. (laughs) Didn't you? I mean, we fucked a couple of times. But it's... just to get the tension out.
1: Did, did one of you get more fucked than the other?
0: <laughs> I think so. I think it was me. Uh, so, <laughs> and you revived the Kumars, which I, I missed this, I am ashamed to say, but on Sky.
1: No, you don't be ashamed. Uh, it, was, um, it was very short-lived. Um, yeah, not entirely successful, actually. I mean, it was, we had some fantastic guests and there were some great moments, but... Sky uh, decided very, very <laughs> close to us uh, making the programme that they wanted it to be an hour. Right. And that was... And I wish now I'd said no. But uh, at that point, I felt the pressure of kind of like, you know, we'd got people hired and it was like, yeah. let's let's try it an hour. But I think, you know, the reason that, that TV comedy works at a half hour is because... Uh, you can suspend comic disbelief for that long. I think that at an hour you need something else. You need a, a narrative or it becomes a, a, you know, a, a, um, an entertainment show or a hmm. you know, variety show or something like that.
0: Sure. You had Brian Blessed on. <laughs>
1: Brian! <laughs> Do you know what? I, I got to ask him, I know he was on here, but I got to ask him my favourite question I asked ever, anyone ever, which was, Brian, is it true that you once punched a polar bear in the face? <laughs> Yes, yes, I do, yes, yes. He poked his nose in, you see. And And I punched him in the face. It was kind of, he was, he's... (laughs) I mean, he's not of this world, is he? Didn't he go up Everest without any oxygen Yeah, what he said,
0: he he said he's done a lot of things. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) He said a lot of stuff. I I tuned out after a while, if I'm honest. Uh, I know you've been swatting up on the emergency questions. I know you, well, bought, uh, you bought the emergency questions. I did buy
1: it, yeah, because I wanted to be supportive. Yeah,
0: That's not... <laughs> no, <thing>. Not revision, <laughs> g- like you pointed I'm, out. <laughs> I'm glad someone's bought it. Um, I'll ask one from the back of my... So, in, just in case you have been revising. don't want you to cheat. I've got some new ones in the back of my book. Uh, which, which sense could you do without? Would, if you had to lose one sense, which sense would you lose?
1: God, I'd, I'd lose the sixth one I've got. Uh, I'd keep the other five. So, good, so yeah, good mind reading. I'd, I'd lose that one.
0: You, that's not fair. You knew that was coming. Uh, so, I knew you were going to say that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, have you ever met Prince Andrew? no I haven't I've seen him yeah I've yeah, seen no. him I've seen him yeah. lurking around doing, yeah, yeah. doing the stuff he
1: does yeah you know doing you that. To go into Prince him. Andy well, stuff when did you see him uh, oh this is going to sound very name droppy um, <laughs> it was at uh, Prince Charles' wedding
0: oh my god yes
1: um, yeah me and Mira got invited to Prince Charles' wedding to Camilla not, not the first wedding, I should have pointed out.
0: Uh, it's been pretty impressive you've been at
1: that one. Yeah, I know. Uh, if I had been, I would have been cleaning up afterwards. Uh, <laughs> times have changed. We've all, we've all moved on. Equal respect, equal opportunities. Uh, and so, yeah, the, I think the entire royal family were there. So they sort of walked. We were in the church at St. George's Chapel or whatever it is in Windsor. And, um, yeah, they all walked past. So I saw yeah. Prince Andrew
0: what was he up to anything (laughs) (laughs) couldn't see his hands no (laughs) so he's probably alright yeah probably alright and let's see what else have I got oh this is a question that usually gets asked to women in the Daily Express that I've decided to only ask my male guests oh yeah what's your beauty secret
1: (laughs) oh gosh that's a good one isn't it Uh, my beauty secret is just uh, just agree with your missus (laughs) because the thing is that you know because if your missus hits you they know how to hit you without the bruises showing. <laughs> so, but then you walk funny. And so, you know, to avoid that whole thing of yeah. walking funny and people going, why are you walking funny? Um, it's, uh, yeah, just that's my beauty tip. Okay. That's good. Yeah. And hair dye.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you become quite a serious... You've moved over into serious acting. I'm always suspicious of the comedians moving away from comedy. It usually comes with the comedians who... Can't, Um, but it's you know. But you know, well, I saw an interview when you were doing Spam a lot, which I want to talk to you about as well. But um, saying that you you know, you as a uh, you know, you're not necessarily getting offered those leading man parts, and you're not getting offered serious parts very much. So obviously, that's changed since that. Since that, that was about ten years ago, seven, eight years ago. Yes, that's right.
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, when the. um... No, I'm not a leading man anyway. Well, you know, we're both
0: of a similar stature we are a similar height we are and um, that, that that not dissimilar age no so well. that means yeah that often some if i'm a leading
1: man that means
0: that i could be yeah mm.
1: and if you're not a leading man that means <laughs> i probably am not um, no it's uh, no i'm not i'm not a leading man in, in in that kind of sense at all i mean i think that uh do you know what i don't approach drama any differently to comedy i think that was with Unforgotten, which is a series I, did, I did, uh, have been doing and am doing, um, I got asked that question a lot actually, which was, oh, uh, you know, the comedy to drama thing and I said, I don't approach it any differently because you're, you're playing a character yeah. and then either funny shit happens to them or serious shit happens to them. <laughs> the only difference, and then when I was talking to them, I said, the difference is comedy is much more technical because, you know, comedy can come from obviously a, a, you know, a punchline or it can come from a word or it can come from a pause but, if it comes from a pause, if the pause is too short, not funny. Too long, not funny. There's a sweet spot on the pause. And you don't have that with drama. And, so, and also, comedy requires a very specific reaction,
0: yeah.
1: uh, which drama doesn't. You know, people had to wail to let, them, let you know that the drama had worked <laughs> to be a different kind of uh, yeah, yeah. beast. But, um, so, yeah, I, do th- I then thought, actually, comedy is just harder. It is harder.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of actors say that. A lot say, oh, "I wish I could do comedy." I wish could be, you know. A lot of I, you know, you've worked with amazing actors, but you know, I, you're talking to these actors that occasionally come come across like, "Oh, to do stand-up comedy, that must be amazingly difficult." And you go, "But you know, you work, you've done Shakespeare and these harrowing roles, uh, and they, they they do feel that." But it's sort of weird the way comedy gets treated as a as uh, you know certainly in award terms and things like that, it gets treated as a, oh, as it's a lesser, yes, yeah, poor
1: cousin, isn't it? Yeah, it, it always has been. No, I think that's ridiculous. I mean, it's kind of... Uh, with the Oscars, particularly, they always pointed yeah. out there that there's very few comedy films that have kind of... Uh, uh, and you think about the great comedy films. I mean, for me, it's, you know, Some Like It Hot or uh, Spinal Tap or, yeah. you know, any of those things. Um, the, two, the Two of the three Python films, I think, are genius. Yeah. And the, they're not going to get any close, anywhere close to it. I mean... Um, Ba- I think BAFTAs are slightly better than the Oscars I, mean, I remember uh, Fish Called Wanda won yeah. uh, a few Michael Palin won and I think um, John Cleese won something for that might won best film um, but it is rare it's very rare and uh, yeah I think do you know what it's that weird thing I, did you ever get this um, particularly when you, when you were on TV All right. well and then <laughs> the radio that thing of uh, people coming up to you and going yeah my mate's funnier than you
0: They never did because uh, no, because they they, weren't. They weren't. They knew. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, but I also think that's true. You know, it it is true that like sometimes people's mates are funnier than you. Uh, I would always say, yeah, they probably
1: are. I don't know them. Uh, It's. uh...
0: But you know, there's lots of funny people in the world, and actually, it's not. You know, it's not the ability to be funny in the pub that makes you a good comedian. (laughs) That's it. It's all the work involved, except for you, where you just do a gig and someone comes along and says, "Here's the TV show." But you no, know, it is. You've got it's to, positive it, discrimination but, gone mad. <laughs> yeah. But no, even for what you're talking about, you know, the amount you're you're putting in, it's it, the thing you're saying is true. That comedy is the same effort as it's just acting, and it's it's about truth. So even yeah. though the Kumar's, you know, it's, it's it's hyper real. It's not a real situation, but you've got to believe and act that situation exactly as if it are true within that. Just as if you're doing a serious police forensic drama, you've got to get into that character and be true.
1: Yeah, that's true. But I think comedy is harder because it is more technical, and you know people are adept at it, and that's great because they've just got a natural kind of uh, affinity for it, and they can they can perform it and present it, and that's brilliant. But you got you know you've got fantastic comedy writers who are not particularly great on stage, and you know that's another skill. But I think it's a very uh, I I agree with you. I think it's a really underrated skill as well. But in the same way that. You know, actors as well. I mean, you wouldn't go to see a concert, for instance, and see someone play, I don't know, Rachmaninoff, or, you know, back in the day, see Oscar Peterson playing jazz and come out and go, I could do that. (laughs) <laughs> Shit, I could do that. With actors, people do. They come out of a cinema and they go, I'm better than him. Yeah. And with comedians, it's, it's even more so.
0: It is. And I think it's easy to do that it's easy, with both because you think, oh, it looks easy and I yeah. can tell a joke and I can pull a stupid, I can pull a serious face. <laughs> yeah. But when you start working with great actors, you really see the, the difference and the craft in it. And, you know, I think...
1: well, do you, but also, because I think you know, it's an intangible skill. I yeah. mean, until someone actually gets up on a stage and, and performs to an audience and tries to connect with an audience, it's just an abstract thing, you know. It's, uh, um, so, yeah, I think it's... In, whereas a musical skill, for
0: instance, is very tangible. Yes. You know, it's... Uh, yeah. And doing accents, that's just a tangible skill I have. Yeah, are you, are, you're yeah. all gifted that way, yeah, actually. Yeah. Did you have to work on them, or did you... No, I just... I just, you know, I just think, what's a Welsh person like <laughs> And what's an Indian person like It's the same... Um, was well, a Scottish person like a bit, just a bit colder, <laughs> needing a bit less seaweed, and then it's there, bang, it's <laughs> gone. So um, uh, <laughs> you, you crop up in. Uh, I was watching uh, Notting Hill the other day, and I kind of have this love-hate thing with Richard Curtis, and I think he's an amazing writer, and but some of the films are. Uh, Notting Hill's actually a you know so you maybe the only uh, ethnic person in Nottingham <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but you you, t- you crop up in the in the restaurant with Yeah, I, was, uh, I think with... it was
1: Angry Man at Restaurant number 3 right. I think which is my film debut. Was it
0: was the first one you were in. It was great. Yeah, yeah, and it was
1: it was I mean it was exciting to be on a yeah. film set but also I was doing a scene with Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant. Yes. And I remember we read through uh, the scene beforehand so um and Julia Robert's kind of said, I said, Oh, it's fine, I'll stand because there weren't enough seats. And she said, No, no, I'll move here and you can sit here. And I sat down and her seat was still warm. (laughs) And I thought, Has she farted on it? (laughs) And then I thought, Can there be transference of DNA from this to can I, can I, if I, if I, you know, suck it in, could it be DNA? Can you get DNA from a fart? You must be able to, right? If you can get it from breath.
0: Yeah. They've caught a lot of criminals because they've farted at the scene.
1: That fart database.
0: (laughs) It's just a bloke smelling... Yeah, I know that one. The farting Bureau of Investigation. I tell you who doesn't do that job, Rick Edwards. Uh, uh... (laughs) Was she nice, Julia Roberts? Would you say if she wasn't nice? I would say if she wasn't nice. Uh,
1: She she was nice, yeah. Yeah, She was very... uh, you know a little bit withdrawn she wasn't kind of uh, she was very polite and she was very warm and stuff uh, whereas Hugh Grant was very engaging and smiley and and I did Paddington 2 with him uh, yes. and he was in which he was fantastic
0: well actually. it's an awesome film so that's what I mean Paddington 2 I know um, surely has won lots of awards but that's sh- that's such an awesome film because yeah, it's a comedy, because it's a comedy in a kids show, kids film. It might be like, oh, you know, it's Paddington 2, But genuinely, one of the most entertaining films I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, do you know what? I would agree, and yeah. it's kind of. And I thought the first one was brilliant as yes, well. Was, yeah. But Hugh Grant in it was, it's, he was, it's, it's, it's like awesome. he was unshackled, yeah. and uh, he did some of the best improvising I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> a lot of which got cut um, because they moved scenes around. But uh, he was just in the zone, and it was because he started off in comedy. You know, yeah. he was in, yeah. um uh, he was in a, a comedy trio, I think. It was right, when right, yeah, started. Uh, kind, Jockeys, nearly... Jockeys of Norfolk. That's it,
0: Jockeys of Norfolk.
1: Yeah. Well um, so he started in comedy, and, uh, uh, and he was brilliant in it. But yeah, he was really fun, and he was engaging and stuff, and Julia was a little bit more Julia, like I know her. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I remember going on a, um, an Asian programme at the time. Uh, and I thought it was stupid. I was in one scene, and you know, angry man in restaurant number <laughs> three. I don't even have a bloody name. Uh, and I went on to plug it. And uh, the first thing I said, I said, look, I just want to quash the rumours about the affair that me and Julia Roberts are having. And she went, what affair? And I said, the, 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 the rumours I'm trying to start now. I, t- I just want to quash the rumour I'm trying to start about having an affair. But um, no, she was, she was uh, yeah, she's very warm and she's very striking.
0: It's a weird film. Notting Hill? Yeah. Yeah. Like... why is she interested in him and what's good? She's horrible. She's horrible to him all the way through. She's, but she's Julia Roberts. I know, and so... it, but that's, you
1: know. Yeah, but you say that now.
0: But I say you... that having dated some actresses. Yeah. I know Hugh Grant's character is going to get shafted <laughs> in that film. But, uh, yeah, you know, well, there's music... nothing really, that, that, you know, it's from, but this is what happens in a lot of Richard Curtis' stuff. There's this kind of romantic ideal of love sort of springing up from nowhere and there's no... You know, this is not... You the, want the sorry reality of your yeah. own life reflected back at <laughs> <to> you.
1: <laughs> like you haven't had enough.
0: <laughs> I want Julia Roberts to realise Hugh Grant isn't all that good and then come over to Ballam where I was living at the time. The film should be called Ballam. If she's just going to hook up with anyone who just bumps into her in a fucking bookshop. I might have some issues of my own there, but uh, it's a good scene. It's a good scene, the restaurant scene. Did it, when you yeah, were sitting in that restaurant, did any of the other cast come up to you and say... <laughs> it was should we be- go for an English, It was it be-
1: before it had to ah, be... Uh, I think, goodness gracious me, hadn't gone out really? at that point. Really? Okay. Yeah. Although I did learn something in that scene about Continuity which was the, so we were at uh, a Japanese restaurant and so they put out this plate of sushi and I thought, oh fantastic, this is great and I thought, that prawn looks fantastic, I'm going to save that prawn to the end I'm going to have that manky bit of tuna first so I can get that out of the way and of course, we shot the scene and they say cut and they come back, they give you another plate and they go, make sure you eat the tuna because we've already got a shot of you and so for four hours, it was manky looking tuna. At the, looking at the prawn on oh, the, the plate. taunting me. <laughs>
0: you're the Chancellor of Sussex University
1: I am yeah how's that do you want a degree
0: yeah Um, (laughs) sorted that's how it works
1: Uh, yeah that was bizarre Um, I I, I followed uh, Lord Attenborough who was Chancellor for 10 years do you know what they contacted me and said uh, you know how would you feel about being and I said yeah great I said you're not going to choose me but God, what an honor to be asked. And then I said, look, you know, I, um, I, I got rejected by the University of Sussex <laughs> when I played. It was my first choice, and they rejected oh, really? me. And so I tell the students that every um, degree ceremony. <laughs> I say, you never know how the future's gonna turn out.
0: Because I said,
1: yeah, you know, look, I didn't get in there, and I was really disappointed. And now, you know, I yours, g- you bastards. I've come in, and I'm in charge.
0: I'd have gone in and fucked the place up. Yeah. <laughs> right, and the chancellor, I'm like, just start throwing Some things around. Of, you fuckers. Just, I wasn't good enough for you before. Why do you like me now? I wouldn't have been Chancellor for very long, but it would have been a great day. Can you imagine <laughs> attempting
1: to do a dirty protest across an entire campus? I mean, you know, one small room. You look watching, you know, watch these documentaries and they go, God, it was a dirty protest in his cell. And you go, God, how long did that take? I mean, that can't be one shit, can it? I mean, that's gotta be. We and did it enough. nobody check in between and go, he's shitting on the walls. And
0: <laughs> <I'm> the Chancellor <laughs> there we go student union bar. <laughs> <laughs> and so your parents came over from India but you, you did a show about going back to India because of the partition right it was
1: yeah good. I like to call it a documentary
0: yeah sorry um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> it <laughs> makes you? it sound a little more high breath
0: <laughs>
1: we opened with it's this a song musical uh, two Ronnies parody of <laughs> partition um yeah, I did. it was a doc series that I did. Uh, it was India at 60 years of independence. So it was about t- 10, 11 years ago. Um, and yeah, I kind of uh, uh, went round India and retraced my dad's steps in a right. kind of, you know, who the fuck do you think you are kind of uh, manner. Um, so I crossed into Pakistan because they were both born, and, uh, born in, in what is now Pakistan. And then at partition in 1947, they had to move as refugees. And... Uh, my mum got out slightly earlier, my dad was slightly later, and he ended up in a refugee camp in Delhi. And it was that thing you left with whatever you could carry. Right. And, uh, and in a way, this is the interesting thing about partition in terms of the ripple effect of it, is that uh, obviously it created you know, uh, three new countries in the region, India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh, uh, two of which now have nuclear weapons, which is yes. wasn't a great... <laughs> forward planning thing, Um, but also a lot of those people who'd been displaced, like my parents, I mean, there was over a million people that died. It's the largest exodus in history, so it's over 15 million people had to move uh, with only a few weeks' notice as to where the border was going to come down. And um, it's not then surprising that a lot of those people who were displaced are the ones who then kind of uh, emigrated to Britain, to Canada, and to America. Mm. And so my dad was part. Of this. So my dad came to Britain in 1956. So he was kind of fairly early, an early adopter. And, um, and my mum, uh, 1960.
0: Right. And they did they meet in the UK then, presumably? They're...
1: No. So know, this the weird thing is that they they met in India. But my uh, dad's older brother was married to my mum's older sister so we always my sister and I used to say of course it was the cut price Indian musical <laughs> two brides for two brothers uh, and um, so they kind of knew each other beforehand
0: yeah and so I'm, I'm sort of interested in how things are going now compared to how things were going then
1: with my parents they're well, very you, very happy uh, <laughs> they've, they've stuck it out and, uh,
0: <laughs> good for immigrants to this country and yeah. people and the children of immigrants <laughs> Because it felt like we were progressing forwards, hopefully. I mean, I'm presuming your parents maybe encountered some difficulties when they got here.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's... It, you know, the, I'm, I'm, my earliest memory is two and a half, and so I've got uh, fairly vivid memories from sort of three onwards. And so I kind of remember what they went through. And yeah. so, you know, them attempting to protect me from it... all. You know, which was done with the best intentions, didn't work because I kind of I clocked everything. Yeah. So you know, we had that thing of uh, so we lived above a launderette in Hounslow in uh, Middlesex, west of London, and uh, and I remember my parents having to paint over swastikas painted on their front door and packies out and all this kind of stuff. And uh, in a way, the weird thing about the seventies, if you lived through the seventies with the amount, particularly with racism and sexism and everything else, uh, is that. Um, you kind of, it's not that you got used to it, but it kind of toughened you up in a slightly different way. So you, for me now, when I see kind of, you know, the stuff that goes on on social media particularly, it's, I'm, I'm less affected by the name calling, you know, it, 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 because I've lived through that and, and I saw worse than that. And so sure. in a way, uh, it's not a a defining badge for me, which I think it is for a lot of people who are younger. Mm-hmm. Do you see that? On, you see it on Twitter sometimes. It's yeah, people yeah. huge offence at being called a name. And I kind of go, yeah. It's kind of like, it's, it's a bunch of letters that form a word. It's kind yes. of like, I mean, my, I remember my mum saying to me when I was a kid uh, that, you know, uh, an insult is only an insult once you've accepted it as one. Yeah. Up until that point, it isn't. Yeah. You know, and so, uh, so I grew up with that. But we had you know, the National Front um, recruiting outside our school. and so The only person they ever recruited was a Sikh kid. Um, <laughs> seriously, there's Juggy, And because uh, they wouldn't get anyone. We had, we had about a third. About a third of our school was, was Asian. And uh, Juggy just misunderstood repatriation. <laughs> and he said, what do they mean by repatriation? We said, well, they'll, they'll, they'll pay for you to go home. And he said, what? Hounslow. And we said... <laughs> If that's where you live, that's where it'll be. And he said, what, the bus fare? Or? We said, yeah, the bus, fare, the bus fare. So he went up to this guy and said, you want to send me home? And he went, uh, yeah. And they, so he said, okay, I'll sign up. He said, do I, do I get it now or do I get it? When do I get it? 30p, when do I, do I get it? And he just, the guy just looked really confused. Yeah. It's the only, only, person ever they, only person they recruited.
0: And do you think it's? Do you think we're heading backwards or forwards in, within this? Do you think it's?
1: Well, Richard, that is a very big question big indeed question. that you've asked. I want an uh, you want an answer. Yeah. I see. That's why you asked the question. <laughs> that's how questions and answers work. Um, I think you know. On, uh, broadly, we've moved forward. But I think you know the same thing applies to sexism and ageism and everything else, which is that. So I've, I've been doing, a, I, don't know, I don't know, I'm supposed to kind of talk about this or not, so I will. Um, <laughs> so th- there's a doc series that the BBC are doing and I'm doing one part of it. And uh, um, and we were. I was looking at activists. And so um, the episode that I'm doing, uh, I'm interviewing people about Martin Luther King, uh, who is it, uh, Helen Keller, blind and deaf Helen Keller, um, Emmeline Pankhurst and Gandhi. And the interesting thing about talking to people who knew... Um, particularly Helen Keller and, and um, Martin Luther King, because they both died in 1968, was I kind of asked the question, what would, what would they think about you know, the situation now? And with all of them, with, with Gandhi, with, with uh, Emmeline Pankhurst as well, was that everybody kind of said, they'd be slightly depressed. <laughs> because the thing is that they made such huge strides at that point. Yeah. But, you know, if you got votes for women in sort of... 1930 was when they got votes for some women. You would have thought, yeah, within the next 20 years, yeah, women will have the vote. They'll be equal. And then you kind of go now, and things like equal pay and stuff like that Mm. is still a really, really big issue. So I think that we have generally moved forward because also... I mean, I'm stunned at at how, you know, the, the, the shift to the right that the world has made in the last few years. I mean, I just don't get it. You know, you get someone, the President of the United States, who's who's fact-checked on a daily basis, and you've got people going, "Eh, that's 30 lies today, there was another 30 lies today, another 10 lies today, and you go, and all these people are kind of going, no, that's the person we're backing. And, and, you know, with that kind of attitude, that is the danger, because you kind of go, he in particular, but, you know, and people who love him and think he's great. think that that behavior is fine so you know his attitude towards uh whether it's uh, women whether it's kind of uh ethnic minorities well everyone except him and yeah. his family basically um is kind of justified in some way and it enables a load of people the one thing that i think is hopeful and where i do think we've kind of moved on is that there is a strong kind of counter voice to that and in the 70s you had kind of you know, the anti-fascist kind of, like, uh, brigades that would turn up to all the NF things. And I think now, with online and the rest of it, I think it's just as powerful. And I think that, you know, we just, you know, Remembrance Day wasn't that long ago. And it was, uh, you kind of go, all those people in those wars died for an ideal. And then you get, you look at the ideals that people are chasing now, and you go, has that just bypassed you, all that stuff?
0: Well, there's people wearing poppies and swastikas, you know, that's a, is that that hedging your bets? I
1: think
0: it's a slight misunderstanding. I'm not sure (laughs) how this is going to turn
1: out. So, uh... (laughs) so yeah, I think overall we have, but I think that, you know, that counter voice I think is really important because I think, you know, the, it's the center that gets squeezed out. And so you just get extremes that are shouting at each other over your head. And so, uh, you know, that counter voice of kind of, uh, uh, which is reasonable, and reasoning, I think, is really important. I do see a lot of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Bloody Nazis. Yeah. Um, Oh, those guys. Honestly. Let's give them another try and see how they do this time. That's what I say. But the weird thing is, you kind of
1: go... Because I did marketing, right? So, um, you know, Nazism in the Hitler, Hitler fashion. Not now, the, the twat's now the one. Got no dress sense at all. But <laughs> at that time, the whole styling of that thing was really clever. Yeah. You know, the Lenny Riefen style kind of films and, you know, the uniforms. I mean, everything. Was, it was kind of well thought out. It was quite... It's it a famous um, designer, wasn't it, who designed the... Was it the SS uniforms? Or the, Hugo
0: Boss, it? was it? I mean, I don't want to slander Hugo does Boss. A, does anybody know? He's a cunt, here. though, so... <laughs> Yeah, it Hugo, was Hugo Boss. It was Hugo Boss. Yeah, yeah. And Volkswagen. He, yeah. He and Volkswagen, he made the Volkswagen. Um, yeah, there were, you know, there was, the lot, there was a lot going from You talked me around to Nazis. <laughs> yes, well, so. I, before, before I met you, I was thinking the Nazis weren't all that great, but now the marketing... You want to take the nasties, so and you go, look, I don't give a shit
1: about all that stuff. You go, what, um, what clothes do you think you'd be wearing? <laughs> nice. Oh, turn-ups are back. Um,
0: so let's, uh, we'll move on from that but thank you for sharing that. Uh, it's, uh, let's talk about Monty Python. You've, like, you've worked with, you know, know, most of the, all of the Monty Python guys or the living ones? <laughs> yeah, the living ones.
1: Uh, yeah, I've met them all. I've worked with uh, three of them. I've, I, I, I Oh, no, I've worked with all of them. Yeah, the ones that are living, yeah. yeah. And I'm friends with uh, friends. three of them. That's, do you know what? It's really weird, Richard. It's really odd. I, I, I'm so, sorry to name drop again. I apologise in advance. Uh, not really. Um, otherwise, I just wouldn't say it, would I? Um, but uh, something I do, I genuinely find uh, sort of really rooting and, and quite humbling is that when I think about my journey, right, and I don't know if you reflect on, on yours, you, you do when you have kids, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, look, look well, you've got a kid now, and this is amazing. And, um, is that I think about the posters I had on my wall when I was 15. And I had the pythons, so they were there. There was a Life of Brian poster I had. I had one of uh, James Bond, I had Roger Moore, James Bond, then I had Clint Eastwood and James Dean, and Animal from the Muppets. I had a Laurel and Hardy, and Elvis, Beatles. You've worked with all of them since. (laughs) Do you know what? It's that weird thing. I met three of the Beatles. Yeah. Um, And uh, what's strange is I kind of go, go, you know, I'm friends with some of these people. And that's really strange. I mean, so with some of the Pythons, and Roger Moore I was friends with, I became friends with, which was was bizarre and wonderful. And... uh, and it's like they've stepped off my 15-year-old wall when, when nothing was going for me. And I, th- I thought, oh, I'm never going to do the stuff that, all this stuff that I'm interested in. I'll, I'll never end up doing that. And, and that's a really weird and warm moment, actually. Can I tell you something about Roger Moore? Yes, please so, One of the funniest things, he was really, really funny, very supportive guy. And I said to Roger once, I said, um, uh, I said, Roger, have I ever told you that Live and Let Die was the first Bond film I ever went to see at the cinema? and he, he shook his head and I said I, you know it was, yeah, it was, I was 9 or 10 years old and I said that's the first Bond film and I said in those days you had continuous programming so when they showed the film they'd wait 15 minutes and then they'd start running the film again and, and I said so the film finished and I thought yeah I'll watch the beginning beginning was great I'll watch another half an hour that'd be great I'll watch an hour that's great I said Roger I watched the whole thing twice sat there watched the whole thing twice <laughs> and he paused for about 2 seconds and he said you owe me £4.50 <laughs> <laughs> so there was another time and I, 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 I'd written a book and I, I, I'd got him to sign his book to me and I said is it okay if I give you my book and I'll sign it to you and he said yeah and i and put to Hamara Roger Moore and Hamara in Hindi means our because when I was a kid my mum used to go the equivalent of our Roger Moore's on the telly and we, the whole family get together and watch Roger Moore and so I'd put Hamara Roger Moore and I said, um, maybe I should explain what hamara means. And he said, may I hazard a guess? <laughs> and I said, yeah, sure, Roger. He said, I'm guessing shithead.
0: <laughs>
1: I said, Roger, I'd never, rea- I know you did octopusy, I'd never realized you were fluent in Hindi. That's uh, absolutely extraordinary.
0: <laughs> so, but you you did spam a lot and you were King Arthur in Spamalot, which was uh, yeah, that was bonkers as well, wasn't it? Was it? Great, but the, what an amazing thing to happen! Yeah, a to be end up being in the play of that film that presumably you watched as a kid, yeah, and, yeah, and loved. But then also to be King Arthur as well, and be a, Asian King Arthur, which is well, that wonderful. was the thing.
1: That was the weird thing was I I went to the audition, as my agent said. uh uh, they want you to audition for King Arthur in Spamalot. And I said, well, they're not going to give it to me, but I, I've never been to a musical audition before. So let me go along and see what happens, because I, I have no idea. So I went along, and you had to you know, sing a couple of songs and do some of the lines, so I did that. And uh, then about uh, a week or two later, he, my agent said, you've got the job. And uh, and I thought, oh, my God. And then I, I looked at the script properly, and yeah, all those lines from Holy Grail that you used to do in the playground, you know, all that... <laughs> The night it's you know, it's uh it's only a flesh wound. Uh and singing, you know, always look on the bright side of life every night was was extraordinary. And then the poster was me uh well my face uh on a Union Jack, behind a Union Jack. Oh, in front of a Union Jack, behind a Union Jack, what's it? Um it's a shit poster, and I've never forgiven them for it. Um But um I remember a lot of people kinda of said to me at the time, they said, uh, well, you know, Asian King Arthur. And I said, well, it's actually King Art, like Art Malik. And uh, and I said, if you needed your horse shoeing at three o'clock in the morning, where else were you going to go? It was in the agent shop that was open. Um, But I did say, look, you know, if people are thinking about my ethnicity when they leave, then I haven't done my job. Then they haven't bought into the character. So that was really interesting to kind of uh, uh, then just make the audience believe that it was a character that, you know, that wasn't as good as, you know, Graham Chapman, <laughs> which is what everyone thinks when they go and see it.
0: Well, I mean, it's it's, a, it's sort of a again, it's a bizarre choice. I've not actually seen lot, but it's... Uh it's an interesting choice from Eric Idle to make some more money uh, but uh, <laughs> which he seems to like to do but you know but people love that film and it is a brilliant brilliant film and there's so many, there's so many. we watched it again I mean I've watched it so many times we, it's on Netflix and we watched quite a lot of the Monty Python stuff on uh, Netflix recently and you know, loads of it stands up and the, those yeah. Brian and, and Grail Really stand up. Yeah, I think it? they
1: really do. I mean, the, the interesting thing about Life of Brian is I don't think it would get made now. No. But actually what it says about religion and politics is, is absolutely, um, you know, still apt and true and real. Yeah. And, uh, and, and Holy Grail is just, there's a, it's, you know, it's that brilliant thing that, actually I think Richard Curtis does really well, which is, it's a, it's a series of sketches that are linked with a narrative. I mean, yes, with yeah. Python, they gave up. I mean, with, they gave up on the narrative at the end of Holy Grail, but um, they're brilliant, brilliant sketches. The you know the, the witch scene is is fantastically well written.
0: Yes, yeah. You know,
1: um, so yeah, those were the influences anyway. Yeah. But what were your influences?
0: Well, was, um, we're very similar. I mean, you know, with all the things you've said are the things that I like as well. So I liked. Uh, I mean, I was Rick Mayer, maybe because I was i yeah. I'm a touch younger than you, but I'm, I'm sure you were into the, yeah, the young yeah. ones and. I mean, it was Python and not that it was not news, but then the young ones were really the, the, the big thing for me because it felt like my generation. Whereas Python was always like a thing that was sort of there, but you couldn't touch in a way because it was. Either it was Life of Brian was like a PG and I wasn't allowed to go and see it, although we did in the end. Uh, or the TV series wasn't wasn't repeated, you know. So if you yeah, weren't yeah. there, I think there was one. They repeated some of it at one point, but it was still late at night and I wasn't able. to It was to say, late at night, yeah. Wasn't really. Was there
1: ever a film that you sneaked into underage?
0: Yeah, I, well, uh, loads of things. Um, the the be- well, I went to see Kentucky Fried Movie, which that, was, I went to see that, which yeah. was on a double bill with the other Cinderella, which was a very. <laughs> I've got the poster of Paul Putner. He was in our stuff. Bought, found the poster of this double bill, the Kentucky Fried Movie, which was the Zucker, Zucker mm. brothers' sort of precursor to Airplane. Slightly s- sexy stuff in it, but mainly really kind of worth. Th- There was a big End to the Dragon kind of... um, Yeah, there was a big End to the Dragon parody. There was some great stuff in it, and there was some slightly, (laughs) weirdly racist and weirdly, you know, booby... Girls with their boobs out being in showers, which I did not enjoy. No. Because I was a feminist. And then... How
1: is this essential to the plot?
0: (laughs) And then the other Cinderella was... uh, The Cinderella story told in a soft porn film. And we... And I was 14. Mm. uh, And me and my 14-year-old friends all went to see it, and... It was an 18, NX certificate as it would be then. Uh, And we decided to go in in the order we thought we'd get in. (laughs) <laughs> so we didn't send the least likely person first we sent the most likely person in first which just is typical isn't it so if we'd, if we'd not all got in we'd have just left the and, and what was them. that based on well based on who we thought looked the oldest and the tallest so Phil Fry who was the, young, who was the oldest, actually looked the youngest he was a real baby face he still mm. is he's 52 years old and there's a baby face and he was quite small so he was last and I think I might have been second last and the taller ones went in first and they let four of us in and then she went oh no not you you're too young and we went no no, he's 18 he said no he's 18 we basically did the Monty Python <laughs> in unbroken voices but did you
1: did you kind of like uh, dress up or make yourself look old did I don't you think you do we
0: really did I think, you know, I think we knew there was a good chance we'd get in I, think, I seem to remember once going to like an X film and asking for a half <laughs> which obviously oh, it's, uh, what? <laughs> that's a, it's a big mistake because you're sort of saying yeah but I'm only 14 ah yeah uh, <laughs> so I'm not allowed in uh, but yeah they basically the well's only and it's not there anymore they'd let children in to see porn films it was fine it was, it was a different time it was fine but it was very exciting watching the other Cinderella with my friends all sitting with erections in a row <laughs> did you do that thing of sort of looking at avoiding eye contact <laughs> yes, or giggling yeah. or I think there was a bit of giggling all I remember the, my main thing I remember is like a Somerset man at the back of uh, probably a 15 year old it was probably it probably is the Monty Python where Every, everyone in the cinema was probably <laughs> little boys dressed <laughs> up as men uh, and uh, there was a scene where a bloke just went and, PERT NIPPLES uh, <laughs> and I, mean, I can still say that to my friends and we'll still laugh PERT NIPPLES PERT NIPPLES <laughs> That was before the loop system was uh, <laughs> Yeah, was well, I don't know, maybe we could have stayed in. But, you know, it was a long, old haul. I mean, Kentucky Fried Movie is a, is a decent enough comedy. Yeah, yeah, The other, right. Cinderella, yeah, like uh, Indusundra- other Cinderella, I wouldn't necessarily... I mean, there's better things online now if you want to <laughs> masturbate uh, hardcore pornography, which I do not want
1: Although to Although the whole thing about porn films and puns still persists, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's the whole thing of... Yeah. The Cinderella and shaving Ryan's privates and, you know, yeah. all that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, it does a little bit. But it's kind of like There was a charming old world <laughs> of perversion. It was, it was a happier time, wasn't it? Where just pornography was just a woman touching another woman's breast and we left it at that and that was enough. Somerset in the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we did. And I did get into... And I don't know if my parents just... Turned a blind eye. Well, my parents were quite strict. They didn't want me to go and see Life of Brian. I had all the uh, albums, the LPs of the Monty Python stuff, and I wasn't allowed to go, you know. So I'd heard it all and I'd got the book and I'd learned it all off by half. But
1: the they, did they not want you to go because of the religious overtones or because. A of little
0: bit, but I think becoming... also because it was a. PG or whatever it was. It was different all over the yeah. country. Was It was banned in some places, and some places it was an X, and some places it was a 14. I think it was probably just under Yeah, 14. I think
1: it was banned. Uh, was it banned in Norway? And I think Sweden then.
0: And like some places in England as well, and Wales. I yeah, there were towns, yeah. Yeah, right yeah.
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah there were towns, yeah, exactly. There was one, I think, that only lifted the ban about 10 years yeah, ago. That's right, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think, I, I can't remember which way around it was, and maybe somebody can correct me. But I think Sweden kind of did show it. And they advertised it as the as the film so funny that it was banned by Norway. Oh yeah, <laughs> they were just yeah. next door, uh, and Ireland, I think, banned, yeah, well, the, uh, banned I which it, which is understandable. So. Yeah, yeah, and the Vatican. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> the Vatican probably didn't
1: ban it. It was probably on a double bill with. Um... It's, an
0: amazing, it's an amazing film.
1: Yeah, it's brilliant. It is brilliant. Has everyone seen it?
0: Has everyone seen it? Of I course, mean... they have. Bloody comedy nerds. Not like you and me. Saying. No, no, I know no, we're, we're 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 above that. <laughs> talking about Monty Python's life Brian, for 40 minutes at the end of this podcast. <laughs> uh, anyway, hey, look, we're going to have to uh, wrap up. There's lots of things I wanted to uh, talk to you about. Thomas and Friends coming up. Is that out yet? You're, you're playing a, are you playing an engine in Thomas
1: uh, I, do, I have no idea. I've done the voice. I've got you? no idea. But it's really interesting. The Thomas world is... It's out there. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of... Um, because people... Again, tweeted me and said, uh, "You know, well done on on voicing Shankar, the Indian engine." Um,
0: I find that, that not... accent quite offensive? Well, the, well, yeah, what you just said there to... was very offensive.
1: From Pontypri. <laughs> 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 oh,
0: that's, <quite>, that's fine. That's <laughs> fine. Now is fine. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, should have clarified.
1: Uh, yeah, that's uh, it's uh, yeah it's it's yeah. The, the, I mean, these are older uh, Thomas the Tank Engine enthusiasts from all over the world I mean I had no idea this world existed but it does
0: yeah and they've, they've brought there's, there's trains from all over the world now. is Thomas do you know what's happening is Thomas travelling around the world and meeting trains from other lands and finding out they're okay
1: yes I think I think that uh, Thomas Except in
0: Germany where it's a bit, it's a bit weird it, uh, so... <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah Thomas and his friends go to different countries and introduce civilization and uh, <laughs> basically <laughs> take those countries over and show them how uh you know, how to play they've cricket. Left,
0: they've left... They live in Sodor, don't they? Thomas, Thomas Tankingen's yes. from Sodor. Well, Sodor. Sodor! <laughs> a, a funny little reverend man, didn't it, was he did that? Anyway, yes, we'll... Uh, we'll oh, there was something I was going to... Oh, yeah, I wanted to ask you. Tr- this is true about your father. Did your mother find your father, when you were in your cot, whispering into your ear, <laughs> I want to be a businessman? He... Yes, he did. The two... Uh, <laughs>
1: My, da- my dad uh, adopted uh, subliminal marketing techniques way, way before they were popular. Yeah, the two things that I do remember from that, uh, uh, well, I don't remember that one because I was in the cot. But, uh, although I could have been in a cot at 35. Yeah. But uh, as I was once, um, that was Cuba. Anyway, it was a, it was a memorable holiday. But the, the uh, um, yeah, it was, it was my dad. My mum found my dad saying, yeah, I want to be a businessman. And the other thing was when I was about five or six or something, I remember an uncle who said, uh, so what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, actor. And my dad said, it's pronounced doctor. And, uh, <laughs> which my dad then denied, and luckily my mom said, no, he did say that.
0: Um, oh, are, they, are they proud of you, your parents? Uh, no,
1: because uh, I'm not a doctor. Uh, no. I'm an honorary doctor. You're a,
0: you're a, you are, and you're a businessman, really. I mean, come on, well. your, your, your business is you. Yeah,
1: everyone's business is them. I mean, um, no, I'm a chancellor. Yeah, uh, not in the German sense. Uh, but uh, yet, yet, um, she's given it up, so could be in there. Good. Uh, ambition, and uh, that's enough to make me run. But um, yeah, I, do you know what? I feel really, really fortunate that, given you know how late it was when I started and stuff, I'm really, really grateful that my parents were still around. You know, to to have seen it, and because yeah. the thing is that I think um, for them, particularly having moved, uh, emigrated here, and, and it was difficult for them. The loneliness alone was difficult when they first moved, and sure. aside from the fact that you couldn't get black pepper, when I was a kid, <laughs> you couldn't get it. It was white pepper was everywhere. I'm not. Right. It's not a racist thing. It's just kind of like <laughs> it's a taste thing. But um, you know, you get it's still in calves. There are calves. It's the only place that I see white pepper now. Is yes, in yeah. calves. I don't see them anywhere else. Um, so I think they found it very, very difficult. But, uh, you know, one of the things I think as a parent, you know, as a fellow parent, uh, it's, is that ultimately you want to know that you've, you've, you did a good job, you know, uh, uh, unless you're Fritzel, And then... and, uh, and then, <laughs> the, then, the, then the rules obviously don't apply. But, you know, you, you want to know that you've kind of done a good job. You, you brought your kids up well and they would be healthy, safe, whatever it is. And I think that that was the thing. I think at 30... I think they were thinking, you know, what have we done? We've kind of like, (laughs) he's not doing anything and this is, he's going nowhere. And um, so yeah, that's one of the things I think I'm most grateful uh, for is yeah. up there and they are they're, you know they're still about and they yeah, that's great, like, yeah. which is lovely yeah that's fantastic
0: well look it's been just such an honour to talk to you you're a wonderful man you're a fantastic Come actor on, thank you do much. comedy and uh, <laughs> as you, I'm sure you will and do your serious acting as well and ladies and gentlemen Sanjeev Baskar, <laughs> give it up you have been listening to Rich Chang the, the Square Theatre Podcast with me Rich Chang and my guest Sanji Baskar. the music is by Pess. And also, can I tell you that the <laughs> people I want to thank, the people of the British Comedy Guide and the people at the West squared Theatre and Go Pass the Strike and everyone for just making my dreams come true, letting me do my own little interview show on the internet. I'm indebted to my producer, Ben Walker. I would just like to thank my executive producer, Matt Fouke. Oh, come on. Matt Fuke, F-U-K-E. You're having a laugh, mate. Matt Fuck is what he wants to be called. And that is what he's going to be called. He's a great guy, though. He's a brilliant executive producer. This is a GoFasterStripe.com, SkyPotato.com, fuzz.com production. Well, my oh my, what a wonderful show that was. Thank you to Sanjeev and all the audience for laughing so much. We had the best of times. Thank you to our sponsor, beer52.com, beer52.com slash to claim your eight free craft beers. Uh, you can also get all my DVDs, including Go oh For A Gun 50, at uh, gofastestripe.com, as well as my book, Emergency Questions, which is available at all good bookstores, Amazon, Waterstones, gofastestripe.com. And do check out tickets for future shows i'll be doing ones in london and there's quite a few shows on the road in 2019 go to richshane.com slash gigs and then you will find out about that uh, i am going to go and lie down now goodbye